Okay, we're uh, we're back at it. Many guys who aren't from Oklahoma, Bernie, you have no idea. We don't like them. It's personal. We got a logo too. We've been working on one for 18 years, and, and we want everybody in the country to know, with all due respect, we got a logo too. We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I'm Carson Cunningham, joined as always by Colby Powell. He's back from Stillwater. He's thawed out, and my goodness, Colby, this is turning into one of the me one of the more remarkable OSU football seasons ever. Not not just ones I can remember, but maybe ever. Carson, I don't know if you know this or not, but uh, I got back into the country Thursday night, and between then <laughs> and Saturday night, I heard a lot about just how good Cincinnati's run defense is. Did you know that Cincinnati had a good run defense, Carson? How good is that run defense? It's really good. I mean, second by the numbers, second in the Big 12, 18th nationally coming into this game. Or 14th, I believe. I have it pulled up here. I'll, I'll look it up. 25 for 271. Let's call that 12 for 211 14. in the second half. 12 for 211 in the second half. Last two weeks, if you just take the second half, Ollie Gordon is over 410 yards. He's over 550 the last two weeks in rushing. Ollie Gordon is RB1 in Stillwater, in the Big 12, in the country. Nobody is doing it better right now anywhere than Ollie Gordon. Man, um, let, we, let's start there. Uh, we'll get to the Christmas University Spirit uniform review and our, our toast of the week, <laughs> likely heading to, to number zero as well. But Colby, let's just start there. I mean, we can get into how the game played out, but you look at the stat sheet, 271, two touchdowns, another just behemoth game that, you know, even mentioning the name Barry Sanders just will will elicit eye rolls, and, and rightfully so. He's the greatest running back of all time the sport's ever seen. But OSU themselves are now throwing out statistics. He's doing things Barry, like not since Barry, two straight games over 250 yards, uh, he's, uh, he's, uh, joins Boston colleges, Andre Williams in 2013 is the only two players over the last 20 years with 250 plus scrimmage yards and three straight games. Like I said it last week that he went from why isn't he, the question went from why isn't he RB one to, is he the best running back in the country to now? I think we're just going to keep elevating that question. Is he going to be in New York for the Heisman and, is he the greatest running back since Barry's getting thrown around on Twitter? And I don't, I don't know all those things. I like to live in the now. And and right now, Colby, he is putting together one of the best seasons in OSU history. It just, it looked like he was bottled up a lot in the first half. And then you look down at the end of the game, he's got two seventy one and two scores. He's just, he's remarkable. Yeah, I almost want to sit here and come up with some sort of criticism just to make sure that he doesn't listen to everything everyone's saying because all he's going to hear is that he's just the greatest thing uh, going right now in college football, and he is. I mean, he's been an absolute phenom in the month of October. He's winning all the awards, Big 12 Offensive Player of the Week, uh, the Doak Walker Award. I'm sure he's going to win that. Again, the weekly award, so he'll be a three-time winner of the weekly Doak Walker Award back-to-back-to-back. He's probably going to win that award for the season, barring injury down the stretch. Um, He's just been unbelievable last night before his fumble and he got popped pretty good on the fumble and he was irate I don't know if they showed it on TV but you could see in the stadium he went over he spiked his helmet he was yelling he was frustrated up to that point he had eight carries for 22 yards and the rest of the way we saw what he did in his final 16 carries racking up those other 249 yards it was just he he his 
size and his speed, his athleticism, all those combinations. But Carson, his vision, his his intelligence as a football player, he doesn't miss the hole. He doesn't go the wrong direction. He knows how to get people away from him and how to use his body to shield himself from defenders. He's just an all-around good running back. It's not one single thing that makes him so great. It's not like he's just a blazer with lightning fast speed or he's just a bowling ball who can run people over or, or he only has great vision. He, he's got the size. He's got the speed. He's got the vision. He's got the football IQ. Uh, he's got everything that you could need right now. And, and he's got this football team in a place where when you run that little end around to Ollie, it's there. Or, pardon me, to Brennan, it's there. Whenever Alan Bowman drops back, he's got time. The play action is working. Josiah Johnson wide open on the touchdown. Why do you think that is? It's because all night, pretty much, Cincinnati was playing all 11 defenders within eight yards of the line of scrimmage because they had to because uh, – uh, is that my computer? Of course it is. Um, you you have to play guys that close to the line of scrimmage because you're worried about him. And then if you have a gap, boom, he's gone. It's just he is opening everything up for everybody. And he's got this offense looking. I mean, I don't want to say unstoppable. They scored 10 points in the first half last night. It was nasty weather. They come out after halftime and they absolutely light it up. But he is just making everything work right now. Casey Dunn is pressing all the right buttons. The offensive line is is blocking like crazy for him, opening up these holes, the cutback lanes for him. It's just, it's been an absolute joy to watch this offense, uh, especially after what we saw earlier this season. It's just, it's mind-blowing to see what he is doing and what this offense as a whole accomplished in the month of October. It's one of the most unreal months of Oklahoma State football I can remember watching uh, maybe ever. Doesn't even look like the same team. And I'm glad you mentioned the start he had because I thought Cincinnati came out with their hair on fire. I mean, they were really barking a ton at Ollie. Every time they would tackle him early, they were in his face. And you could tell it was kind of getting to him. And then the fumble happens that you referenced. And I think I think there was a lot of emotion there with how much smack Cincinnati was talking, the fact they were bottling up, which he's not used to. And it really was a case where you're watching this first half play out and you're kind of sitting here as, as an OSU fan going, I don't like the looks of this. If, if Ollie can't get going, I mean, is, is Bowman good enough to go win this game with, without the running game? And I think most of us would lean towards no. And this is where it's really unique. So Barry Sanders' name's getting thrown out a ton, rightfully so, with the, the stats that Ollie's putting up. And as we all know, Mike Gundy handed the football off to Barry. So he has a unique, <laughs> a very unique perspective on all of the talk around Ollie. And Mike gave some great quotes saying, you know, I, I played with the best running backs of all time. They don't, they don't spike their helmet. It's a waste of energy. It's a waste of effort. And it becomes negative for your football team. That's what I told him. It's a choice you make not me. Uh, it's your team and your career, our team and your career. So it it's pretty amazing that like how long ago Barry Sanders played and yet the guy who happened to be the one handing the football to him when he was winning the Heisman trophy is your head coach. Uh it's a pretty unique perspective and I thought he Gundy's usually very disengaged on the sideline and that that's not necessarily a criticism. He likes to stand further back away from the offense get his his own per, unique perspective of the game and how it's playing out. You rarely see him, you know, getting in the ear of a player, whether it's positive, negative, or, or anything. And he was right there on his shoulder talking to him, calming him down. And I thought that really helped settle not only Ollie down, but the team down as well. Because they, So, yeah, I think it was a, a rough start for Ollie. But as we've seen with him, you can hold him down for a while and he's just going to explode. And I think Mike Gundy did a fantastic job settling him down 
uh, going into the second half, and the team really responded, scoring three straight times out of the out of halftime. Yeah, every time, I mean, the last two weeks, Ollie Gordon has just been an absolute monster in the second half of these games. It's like he gets stronger as the game goes on. They were talking last night in the pregame shows. I was driving up about a game his junior year in high school against Allen, Texas, where he had 49 carries for 466 yards and six touchdowns. And it's like the longer the game goes, the more he touches it, the more everyone else gets worn down. And it's like it just juices him up to just keep going and going and going. And last night, I'll be honest, I love all these stats. I love the 271, all this crazy stuff. I, I didn't want to see him touching the ball anymore in the fourth quarter. That game was over. Every carry was making every carry was making me nervous. But <laughs> again, he's just he's a beast, man. And they kept feeding him and it worked out. Obviously, no injuries, and, and he's good and he's healthy for Bedlam. But he touched it, what, I think think 29 times yesterday. Uh, I think he might touch it 35, 40 times this next weekend against Oklahoma. And I just I don't think you can get the ball in his hands enough. And for, for whatever panic was there was in the first half, and, and for me, there wasn't a ton. I knew Cincinnati wasn't any good, and Oklahoma State would pull away. But even next week, if things are close in the first half and OU's um, kind of, you know, doing what OU does, I, I just still have confidence that in the second half, Ollie Gordon is going to do what Ollie Gordon does because as other guys get worn down, he just doesn't. He gets stronger, and that offensive line seems to feed off of it. It makes Bowman's life easier. It's just – um, it, it's, it's an absolute pleasure to watch and, and to be able to watch it in person. I wasn't at the Kansas game. So this is the first time in person that I've really seen an Ollie Gordon explosion, man. It's different when he hits that hole. Um, yeah, it's, it's big time whenever he gets out there. He showed a little bit of everything. I thought the touchdown run where he broke a bunch of tackles near the goal line and scored was one of his better runs he's had. <laughs> that was unbelievable. And just, he makes it look so effortless. Like guys just kind of bounce off him and he just kind of shrugs them off and doesn't look any... Doesn't even really look all that stressed breaking tackles. And then he does kind of what has, has become his signature run where he makes a, a really smart, uh, well-timed cut at the line of scrimmage, uses his vision. And he's, he's as as Mike Gundy said, he's competitive fast. He said some guys, when they have someone chasing them, is just is, is faster when they're competitive like that. And he's starting to remind me, you know, we, th- we throw out comparisons every week and, the, and his highlights, just purely his highlights, are looking a lot like Derrick Henry where it's this big, taller back, and he just he's not supposed to run away from people, but he just keeps doing it for you know more than 200 yards. Derrick Henry was really good at that too. So he's now the nation's leading rusher at 1,087 yards. He has 10 touchdowns. And Cincinnati, Colby, we mentioned it off the top. They were 14th in the country in run defense. They had yet to give up a 100-yard rusher all year, and he just puts up 271 against them. It's just um, he, he showed the full bag. And this looks like it's sustainable. The the move with with Alan Bowman in at quarterback, Ollie Gordon in at tailback. This is this is not a fluke now. This is four straight really dominant offensive performances. I think you're that's safe to say, uh, especially the way they just dominated toward the end of the games against West Virginia and um, Cincinnati. So it's I don't even know where to go from here on the podcast. But he is the nation's leading rusher, Colby. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> That, that's where I was fixing to go. He leads the nation in rushing by 27 yards uh, over Marcus Carroll from Georgia State. Those are the only two players in the country over 1,000 right now. Carson, let me go ahead and read something off to you. September 2nd versus Central Arkansas, seven carries, 44 yards. September 9th at Arizona State, nine carries, 53 yards. September 16th at home against South Alabama, three carries for 12 yards. Carson, he barely touched the ball the first three games of the season he leads the nation in rushing going into november it is 
it, it's unfathomable. It is absolutely unfathomable. Oklahoma State, um, Dave Hunziker threw out a stat on the way home last night. Oklahoma State, 40 and 14 over the last however many years, whenever they have a 1,000-yard rusher, 31 and 21 whenever they don't. They've got one this year, and he's just been Mr. Everything. He He's going to win the Doak Walker Award. There's no doubt about it. If Oklahoma State were, God forbid, to win out, um, I, I think you're absolutely right with what you said last week. There's a great chance that he could be in New York if he is the reason why Oklahoma State goes 2-2 two and two in September and then goes 8-0 the rest of the way. It's been an unbelievable turnaround. Um, he, as an individual, deserves a ton of credit. The guys up front blocking for him deserve a ton of credit. The coaches deserve a ton of credit. Uh, better late than never on figuring out that you've got this absolute cheat code. As I'm looking at his game log here, that they're running the highlight on the side on ESPN of his run last night where he bounces off tacklers in the middle of the third for that touchdown. That was right there in front of us in the west end zone. That one had me standing up on the row in front of me yelling. I don't even know what I was yelling down onto the field. But to, to watch this guy in person, the crowd last night was absolutely awesome. It was packed, and it's going to be even crazier next Saturday. If if you have any chance to get to Stillwater, you have to do it because I, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if Oklahoma State's going to win that football game, but I know it's going to be a lot of fun. I know the atmosphere is going to be crazy, and I know that if you haven't seen Ollie Gordon in person, you have to see Ollie Gordon in person. Well, if you saw him after the game, I posted a picture of him after the game with kind of like, you know, mood was the caption. It it doesn't even look like he broke a sweat. <laughs> it doesn't even look like he played in the game. It looked like he was the guy that like suited up but couldn't go is what he looks like. But I did want to ask you about that. In the stadium, you know, I haven't been to a game this year. Uh, I really haven't been there for one of the, the epic Ollie performances. What, what was it like in the stadium? You know, they're chanting his name, Colby. This is this has gone from, okay, wow, we have a starting running back, and he's as good as, you know, people like Carson was saying he was last year. It's gone from that to he is now the face of the program. He's this year's He's this year's edition of the OSU football team's Justin Blackman. He is their Chuba Hubbard, all you know, uh, James Washington. Go on down the line. He is he's the man. What was it like watching him explode the way he did and the way he's done so many times the last four weeks? And just what was it like inside the stadium? Yeah, he's the face of the program. He might be the face of the conference right now. In the stadium, it was crazy. I mean, you can tell the the people love it and the people love him. You know, he. He was the guy at the end of September on Twitter, you know, keep supporting us, stick with us. We're going to, we're going to fight through this and they have, and to, to be able to have a guy who stuck it out, who wanted to be a cowboy, right? He wanted to be an Oklahoma state cowboy, even when things were not going right. And now things are going so, so unbelievably right. Everybody's chanting his name. It wasn't just the students, Carson. I mean, you're down there on the one yard line when they ended up, I mean, everybody's worried about him. So then you give it to Brendan and Brendan's able to get in on the right side there at the hash because everybody, I mean, there were probably 30,000 people chanting Ali, Ali, Ali. And that's just, Man, that's so much fun to be a part of as an Oklahoma State fan. I really, Carson, I, I didn't go to either home game in September, and I thought to myself, I'm like, man, there's going to be some nasty weather games I'm going to have to go sit through later in the season to watch this bad football team play bad football. And now last night it's 36 degrees. Whenever we went and got out of the car, it's misting the entire time we're there. We just layered up, and everybody who was in that stadium was happy to be there because this is – 
this is special and special is always fun to watch whatever sport it is um whoever it is doing it special always brings people out and that's what ollie gordon is and uh, again we need to find something wrong with what he's doing because he's got to stay motivated uh as great as he's been people are going to be remembered for what happens this upcoming saturday and I, I think that he's going to shine in that moment. So I just I can't wait to see what he does against Oklahoma and how this team um, goes out there on Saturday. But uh, I know we've got a lot more to break down from the Cincinnati game. I'm getting ahead of myself, but I'm just I'm so excited and and so in love with this this player and this team that really I, I didn't think that they could recapture my heart after what happened in September, and they've absolutely done it. Um, I'm I'm all in. I'm all in on this team. Yeah, and. Um... The hype train is going to start really rolling now for Ollie going into Bedlam. You got guys like Brandon Walker from Barstool Sports tweeting out, the best player in the country might be Ollie Gordon, and 75% of college football fans have no idea who he is. Well, well, that's changing. I mean, he's the nation's leading rusher. It's going to be a huge stage, 2.30 Bedlam game, which we'll get into uh, toward the end of this podcast, and certainly we'll have preview pods. We'll have to call our folks again. Call your mom, call my dad, see how they're feeling about Bedlam. I'm glad we're checking in now and not back in September. <laughs> but uh, we are getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. Let's get back to the Cincinnati performance. And, you know, one of the more kind of under-the-radar storylines for Oklahoma State coming into this game, you and I talked about it some, but I don't think people nationally realize how beat up they are at receiver. Uh, sure, they have Brennan Presley, and, and again, Casey Dunn and the staff uh, deserve all the credit in the world. They're getting the football to him as much as Ollie Gordon. And, you know, with, with the injuries they've had, some this is what you see from really good – programs and coaching staffs. And I really want to give Mike Gundy credit for this one. Uh, Leon Johnson, the third played a little bit last week, uh, got in the game due to injury. They knew they, they needed him to play this week. And I was listening on the radio broadcast before the game. And they were talking about how, you know, the plan was to redshirt him, but you know, if he plays one more game uh, after this one against Cincinnati, then his, his red shirts over with, and he's a senior, but, it's a testament to the coaching staff to get this guy ready to play at this level. I mean, he was from George Fox division three and I'm assuming Colby, that's why he hasn't played this year, but man, I, I kind of tweeted in the game. Like <laughs> when he got up to 500 or uh, five catches and a hundred and uh, more than a hundred yards, I was like, are we, are we entering Ollie territory here in the question of like, why isn't this guy, why wasn't this guy playing? Because again, I, I understand he came from a much lower level, but Let's face it, the receiving core has been a huge disappointment this year. You know, obviously, Stribling hasn't even played since the Iowa State game. He's been out. They need some help on the outside. Jaden Bray has been a huge disappointment. Drops, not just drops, but timely, huge drops that have affected outcomes of games. And there's been real opportunity for a receiver to get in there and play. And credit to Leon Johnson for his performance, Colby, because he – he puts up five catches, 149 yards. He becomes just the second receiver all season long to have a 100-yard game. Rashad Owens against Kansas is the only other time. And I think that stat right there, Colby, speaks to what I'm talking about. Like, how could this guy not get on the field with how disappointing the receiving core has been? Because he absolutely was the star of the game for anyone not named Ollie. Well, 100% he was. Leon Johnson, the third. They were talking on the radio about, you know, they were wanting to – redshirt him this year, not play him more than four games. Last night was the fourth game in which he saw action. That redshirt is up in flames. This guy has to be on the field. Five for 149 last night, and he did it in a variety of ways. He's got size. He's got speed. He had the great play um, up the sideline where Bowman put it right on him. He was able to come in. He made a contested catch on a slant with a guy right on him. I think it was on a third down, if memory serves correctly. He was incredibly impressive, and 
I'll, I'll be honest with you. Um, you know, you, you hate for guys to lose their job due to injury, but that's part of it. Leon Johnson's got to be on the field. He he looked way too good last night. He looked reliable. Alan Bowman looked comfortable with him. He has played so well off the bench um, last night specifically, but Rashad Owens has been great stepping up with all of the injuries. Uh, I mean, my in-laws were here earlier, and they were like, who was this Leon out there last night? Where are all the <laughs> other receivers? And I'm like, well, off the top of my head, Talon Shetron's hurt, uh, Jaden Bray's hurt, Dejon Stribling's hurt, Blaine Green's hurt. I'm like, this wide receiver room is decimated. And a guy steps up like that and does that last night, and I'm telling you, those balls were not easy to catch. It was cold. It was 35 degrees. That football was wet. That is not an easy night to be a receiver. And he made it work, and he was unbelievable. So he's got to get more chances. He's got to be on the field this next Saturday against Oklahoma. He's listed at six foot five, two oh seven, and he's got speed. And, and he's he he showed you that he can uh, make contested catches on a night like last night. Yeah, I'm I'm all in on Leon Johnson as well. He's got to see time, and that red shirt, that thing's going up in flames. Well, and one of the biggest problems back in September for this offense was the lack of the, the deep threat. And, and all Johnson did at, with his 6'5 frame, it, it's a much easier target to throw to. He had catches of 67, 23, and 43 yards. That's just an element of the offense that did not exist in September. What, Whether that was the quarterback carousel or play calling, they were not getting those deep shots that have really become a hallmark of a successful Oklahoma State offense. And, and I'm with you. I think – I mean – I do feel for a guy who was planning on getting a full extra year of eligibility, a full season. But I think you sit down any football player and say, look, we're playing Oklahoma next week. We Everything's in front of us. We can win the Big 12. And who knows what would happen if we do that? Uh, I think anybody would sign up for that. I think Johnson's included on that. But I do understand that, you know, life throws you curveballs sometimes, but sometimes when there's this much on the table, you just got to go for it. And I think he'd be willing to do that. Yeah, the reality is, if you're too good to redshirt, that's a good reason to burn the red shirt, man. You're not burning it just to burn it. You're burning it because you're too good. And because this team, I'm telling Carson, if they beat Oklahoma, they're going to win out and they're going to the Big 12 title game. I don't know if they're going to beat Oklahoma. That's a game that has given this team fits. I really don't know. I, I think it's an absolute coin toss as to who wins on Saturday in Stillwater. But I don't think the final three games are coin tosses. The newcomers, the four newcomers to the Big 12, they said it last night on the radio, are 3-17. and 17. One of those was a head-to-head win when two of those teams played each other. Another one of those wins was the goofy Houston-West Virginia game. The newcomers have gotten absolutely decimated, especially as the calendar rolls on and these teams don't have the depth to compete at this level first season in the Power 5 Conference. Oklahoma State, I feel really confident saying they're going to beat their final three opponents. If they beat Oklahoma on Saturday, they're, they could win their, their final eight games and go to the Big 12 uh, title game. And Leon Johnson, he's got to be a part of that. And 100%, I, I think he probably wanted to redshirt, have a whole other year of eligibility. But if all you're trying to do is be the guy and be a contributing factor and, and, and be, be the man on a team that has a chance to win a conference title, this could be that year. Um, it's amazing. It's amazing, Carson. I, I don't know that my emotions have ever shifted so much in the course of one season. And, and it's not even, uh, we're not even at the end. We're only two thirds of the way through this season. And um, it's just fun to watch. It's the Gundy roller coaster. I, I had somebody ask me a few weeks at the, at the golf course, just like, what do you think about Mike Gundy? What are your opinions about Mike Gundy? And I said, I love him, but he drives me crazy. And I, I think that this is a, a perfect encapsulation of that season. So it's like a marriage, um, you, you love them, but they yeah. drive you a little nuts. Yeah, I love him, but he drives me crazy. Uh, but right now, it's a good crazy. So I, I just hope that this thing, I just hope this train never stops rolling. I, 
the fact that Bedlam's this Saturday, I, I can't contain my excitement. I keep wanting to jump ahead, Carson. You, you've got to keep me grounded on what happened yesterday because I keep pump, wanting to jump ahead. Pump, pump the brakes. Pump the brakes. I do want to ask you about Mike Gundy and the turnaround that's happened this year. But first, to, to your point about how they're, 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 they are in the driver's seat. I think you sit Johnson down, you show him this stat right here from Barry Trammell, sellout crowd. Uh, he wrote a really good column on just kind of the turnaround with Bowman and, and Ollie at, at the, in the backfield. There's a five-way tie atop the Big 12. But Oklahoma State has the best path by far. Here, here's the combined record of their remaining schedule. It's seven and thirteen. OU's is eleven and nine. Texas twelve and eight. Kansas State thirteen and seven. Iowa State thirteen and seven. So every other team in the five-way tie besides Oklahoma State is facing a schedule with a winning record, whereas OSU's is, is six games below five hundred. It's absolutely all right there in front of them and it, it starts it, it might start and end with bedlam and uh, i'm already scared about that uh but first let's let's finish up the cincinnati game and then we'll get into kind of the turnaround and get through our uh our, our sponsored elements as well so obviously ollie huge story alan bowman i thought played really well uh he, he threw some balls in the traffic but considering the elements uh the way this offense has functioned with him he, he hit some really good throws as well and i just i'm sorry colby there there is no chance Oklahoma State is in the position they're in if Alan Bowman wasn't given the reins. I'm sorry. I, that's, we'll never know. But based on what I saw from Gunnar Gundy and Garrett Rangel, I just I refuse to believe the consistency would be there. And that's why they they brought in a guy like this. I think the quick release he has has led to fewer sacks. His ability to get rid of the ball has led to fewer sacks as well on top of the offensive line playing better. And I think Alan Bowman's as deserving for, for praise. Maybe not as much as Ollie. Of course not. But he's right up there as a reason this thing's turned around. No yeah, no doubt about it. Ollie, um, is that me again or is that you? I think that's you again. Of course, that's me. Um, yeah, no, Alan Bowman's been awesome. He, he's been reliable. And that's all you need from the quarterback position this year, right? That's what we wanted in September. We just wanted reliable. We wanted consistent. And we were getting erratic because we had this three-quarterback carousel. Things were going crazy. We couldn't figure out what was going on. But what did we talk about in August? Carson, not in September, in August. You brought Alan Bowman in as the transfer to come be a veteran guy to take care of the football. He had the one interception last night. Didn't It wasn't a killer. Um, Alan Bowman has just been steady, and that's all you need him to be whenever you've got Ollie Gordon back there. And, and you're not asking him to do too much. You're asking him to pick up the occasional third down and six, third down and seven, and that's fine. That's exactly what Alan Bowman is there for, and he's done a good job. The, the coaching staff put their faith in him uh, once they got out of the non-con and, and got into conference play, and he's rewarded that faith with some pretty good performances. Look, he, he's not a Heisman Trophy winner. He's not a superstar. There's going to be a couple times a game where he, where he makes a throw that, that frustrates the fan base, but he's doing enough he's not turning the ball over he's not making stupid decisions so Alan Bowman has been really solid and I I feel good that he will keep his composure down the stretch against Oklahoma and the rest of the way if this team has a chance to win a conference title Uh, I don't think he's going to have some sort of implosion game where he throws three picks he's just a veteran guy who, who gets people where they need to be and makes the right decision and that's all this team really needs offensively yeah and he's proven that he's not a complete statue based on the lack of sacks that he's given up. I think a lot of that's got to do with him being able to decipher when he's pressured and get rid of it and throw it away. I I, I made a joke during the game, Colby, like when the referee gets on the intercom and is like, there is no foul for uh, intentional grounding. There was a, before he finishes the sentence, I think we're all like, 
we know he does this like five times a game where he throws it away, which, you know, sometimes can be frustrating, but it's certainly better than throwing it to the other team. So uh, I think he's been solid, not spectacular. And that's, that's all you really need for him when you got uh, what you have in the backfield Um, defensively Colby uh, more big plays given up. But again, I mean, you look at the final, the final tally and they're just becoming, they've really found their identity in my opinion. And that is, they're going to give up a big play or two here and there, but over the long haul, over the long course of a game, they have too many athletes in the secondary. They're going to be around the ball too much, and they're going to force you to make mistakes. And that's exactly what happened again. They forced two more out of Cincinnati. Could have been a few more, uh, could have been less, but again, I think the defense has really found its uh, its calling card with, with Nicholas Martin in there in the middle as well. Oh, Martin's been great. They had a great uh, scheme last night on a blitz where they brought Xavier Benson, and and Nick Martin was, like, just sitting in his back pocket, and Xavier Benson eats up the running back. Nick Martin shoots around him and gets the sack on Emory Jones. That was a great scheme there by Brian Nardo and great execution by the guys on the field. Uh, Colin Oliver has turned into a playmaker once again. Kendall Daniels is great on the back end. Cameron Epps, you know, he had his his troubles in that first conference game against Iowa State. Bounced back the next week, uh, pardon me, two weeks later with the performance against K-State. He had the interception last night that he juggled about six times and then finally was able to haul in the, the big plays last night didn't totally bother me one of them was on uh the the first drive I think Cincinnati's first drive where you get a guy streaking across the middle and you don't love st- to see those things but uh the reality is this defense is doing a good job in so many areas that if you have those one or two breakdowns a game it, it's almost better to just eat it all at once than have a, a death by a thousand paper cut situation where your defense is out there forever defending a ton of plays and exhausted in the fourth quarter um the one play to the edge where Montgomery takes it up the sideline for Cincinnati's only touchdown of the game uh that was a great play by the way Scott Satterfield what an absolute clown this guy is three seconds left in the first <laughs> half they've got the ball on their own side of midfield he calls timeout, runs it up the middle, and blow. I, I, it looked like Miles Montgomery blew his knee out on the play. They were carrying him off. He couldn't put any weight on his leg. I, I, I guess last week in his press conference, he's sitting up there. You know, we've outgained six of our seven opponents. We've outrushed five of our last seven opponents. Did you call timeout with three seconds left to run your starting running back up the middle and blow his knee out so that you could pad the box score and talk about how you're outgaining your opponents? I, I absolutely couldn't believe that he put his team in that position uh, and somebody got hurt on that play. But yeah, the Oklahoma state defense the big plays you're giving up sure those hurt and you would like to not have that but they're not giving up sustained drives so um you know you kind of take what you can get and i think that they've done a pretty good job uh especially throughout october whenever the offense has kind of given them leads to work with they haven't given those back and that's really all you can ask yeah and again nicholas martin uh really turning into the the malcolm rodriguez of this defense uh and that's a lofty comparison but Martin is up to 83 tackles this year. Uh, for reference, this is from Marshall Scott's 10 Thoughts. Be sure to check that out on Pistols Firing. He does a great job recapping and kind of diving into some of the more pertinent numbers. Uh, for reference, Jason Taylor led OSU with 99 tackles last year, and he's already up to 83. Malcolm Rodriguez in 2021 had 129 tackles, and Martin's on pace for 124 and a half. Uh, but Martin has averaged 13.75 tackles a game through this four-game winning streak. So he, Cole, he's just everywhere. Uh, it's very similar to what we saw with with Malcolm Rodriguez. He hasn't quite had the turnover ratio that Malcolm had. Malcolm had some picks, some fumble uh, recoveries, things of that nature. But he's making just as big of an impact for a defense that's really, really starting to play really well. Look, I know Cincinnati's nothing to write home about. I know they ran for 277 yards. I think part of that's because their passing game's so inept. 
But they Cincinnati was really close to breaking some long runs in the first half, and they ended up breaking one. But I thought as the game, as we've kind of seen with this defense, as the game wears on, I think Brian Nardo makes really good adjustments. They really start to limit you your total uh, yardage and your total points each each and every game. And I think Nick Martin has really stepped out as the kind of face. You know, all he's been kind of the face of the program and certainly the offense. I think Martin's right there uh, on defense as well. Yeah, he has been. He's been unbelievable. And this is a guy we didn't know at the beginning of the season. We were talking about him. We were talking about Justin Wright. We didn't know exactly what it was going to be for this defense. And it's been Nicholas Martin in a big, big way. And Oklahoma State needed that. The loss of Mason Cobb, um, I, I definitely thought that that was going to hurt. And I don't think that it really has a ton because of Nicholas Martin. That's been huge, huge, huge. The defense has managed to stay pretty healthy, not 100%, but pretty healthy. And Martin's been one of those guys who's had good health throughout the season, and he's made the most of his opportunity to just be a stud and really be the catalyst in the middle of this defense. Those guys on the defensive line are doing good. Walter Scheid had a big play last night on a third and one where he blew it up in the backfield uh, and forced a punt from Cincinnati. Latu's been making plays. Colin Oliver has been making plays. Um, Yeah, it it starts with Martin. Benson has still been really good. He has not... um, probably put up as many numbers as Nicholas Martin has, but Benson's been good. Like I said, last night, Nicholas Martin goes around and gets the sack. Well, Xavier Benson was the guy that ate up the block so that Nicholas Martin could get around and get the sack. So they've kind of been working together uh, a nice duo there in the middle of the defense. So it hasn't been perfect, but it's been plenty good enough on that side of the ball. And I'm really curious to see how they're going to attack an Oklahoma team that loves to run Dylan Gabriel a ton. I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself, Carson. I'm getting ahead of myself again. You better stop me because I'm already I'm already sitting here trying to figure out how Xavier Benson and Nicholas Martin are going to handle handle Dylan Gabriel. You actually want to talk about Bedlam. I did not see that coming this year with the way <laughs> the way September played out. I can't stop. We'll, it's not even that I just want to. I can't stop talking about we'll, it. Even we'll, I'm trying to stop and I can't. We'll get there. Let's wrap up the defense with this final thought. Then we'll get to our stuff. And then you can talk all the bedlam you want, okay? Uh, the defensive backfield, as Marshall puts it in his 10 thoughts, is is going to be special. And I think they're approaching present tense with that. Uh, Cameron Epps, redshirt freshman, he's got up to three interceptions this year. Kendall Daniels, we know he's capable of. But DJ McKinney, Colby, really impressed me with that pass breakup he had late on a fourth down. Uh, they... They've got real talent on the back end. I know they've given up some big plays at the safety spot, but again, I, I think the hallmark of this defense is young, rangy, secondary, that just when you when a quarterback drops back, it feels like he sees 15 of them instead of 11, uh, certainly five, six, seven on the back end. So uh, the secondary to me, Colby, is another one of the stories of the year so far. Yeah, good shout on DJ McKinney. He was really good last night. He was in the hip pocket of the receiver that he was that he was in coverage on. Um, he was split out wide left, I believe, most of the night, and he did a great job. And he he's a guy again, Carson. I think about the players that were lost from last year's defense and how concerned I was about replacing some of those guys. I already mentioned Mason Cobb. How about Jabbar Muhammad on the outside? That was a big one for me. And then September, you know, especially after that Iowa State game, I'm like, man, you lose a guy like Jabbar Muhammad, that hurts. And it still does hurt. He's a good player, right? He's having a great year up at Washington. But whenever you get a guy like DJ McKinney out there doing what he's doing, whenever Cameron Epps is able to have that game in Ames and then forget about it and come have the October that he has had, those guys have been great. And what more do we really need to say about Kendall Daniels? He is just um, physically, he's he's pretty impressive back there with his height, his size, his speed, the way he's able to get up and, and make hits. 
But um, yeah, the secondary has exceeded my expectations recently. And Emory Jones is not a guy who's going to to kill you through the air. But he had a couple throws last night, the streaker across the middle early, some things that he can do. And Oklahoma State just didn't give him the opportunity to make too many of those throws because guys were just on the receivers. So yeah, great job by Epps, Daniels, McKinney, all those guys on the back end. They had a really good night. Special teams, I think Brennan Presley still kind of struggles to, to figure out what he wants to do, either catching it, fair catching it, you name it. Uh, Alex Hale uh, had to had to brave the elements. Not exactly a Groza award might be slipping away for him, but overall it didn't ultimately matter because because Ollie Gordon ran away from him. Any any final thoughts on Cincinnati? Uh, not a ton. Alex Hale, he's he's had a few misses lately, but I still don't really have a ton of concern. Um, you know, those those pop up in October. You go back, you get to work, you straighten that stuff out. One of his misses last night was from 52 on a, a cold, wet night, and that was when the game was in hand. I think they sit him out there because that's kind of a house money kick. If you make it, it's like, man, what a great kick in the cold with the wet ball, 52 yards. Uh, if he's able to make that, it's a big confidence boost. And if he doesn't, it's like, look, that's a tough kick. Don't worry about it. Uh, the shorter one that he missed earlier in the game, that's that's something that's not great, but you know, I, I'm not too worried about him. So special teams, I still think Oklahoma State is fine. And then, um, yeah, just a, a great job by the coaching staff. Want to continue to throw praise at them. I know we were very critical in the month of September. Uh, that was totally warranted due, due to what happened in the month of September. But I, I just want to continue to heap praise on them for fixing it because you, you can't change the past. And this coaching staff, they couldn't go back. They couldn't fix what happened in September, but they could they could make it better for the rest of the season. And they've got a legitimate Big 12 title contender on their hands, and they deserve a ton of credit for that. Yep, four straight wins. They look like, gosh, they, they, they look even better than the team you and I were putting at nine wins right now. Uh, it's completely flipped, especially when you talk about what Oklahoma's been doing lately as well. But first, let's get to the Chris's University Spirit Uniform Review, brought to you by Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop. Be sure to shop at chrisuniversityspirit.com. I got to imagine some folks were shopping for some warm weather gear, (laughs) some cold weather gear, whatever you want to refer to it as, as that weather looked absolutely diabolical. So we appreciate everyone that stopped by Chris's before the game and be sure to stop by Chris's and, and shop online as well. So uh, Colby, a bit of a curveball with the uniforms. I mean, I kind of called for white, orange, black a few weeks ago, and I, I get it on homecoming when I least expect it. I thought the standout was the helmet. Uh, as much as I like tricolor, Colby, I probably would have preferred white, black, orange. I think that would look better. But hey, I can't be a hypocrite and call for something we haven't seen before, and they wear it and then complain. So I. Not my favorite. I, I liked what they did with the helmet, the throwback helmet, the stripe, the, the the two colors on the stripes was great, but overall kind of a, maybe a polarizing choice on homecoming, let's say. Yeah, I did think that it was interesting to go with the tricolor on homecoming, but weirdly, it was kind of one of my favorite tricolor looks. I thought the helmet was awesome. I thought the the just basically you're going from uh, lighter to darker as you go with the, the white, the orange, and then the black. I thought it was a really clean look on homecoming weekend. Um, and I'm not normally a big tricolor guy, but as soon as they came out last night, I'm like, man, that looks pretty good. I was I – was, um, if you would have told me tricolor around. before the game, I would have said no, not on homecoming. But when they came out and I saw it, I, I sneaky kind of loved it. So – um, I was actually surprised probably how much I loved it. You're coming around. See, it it looks very OSU with the white, the orange and the black. Uh, I thought the helmet was great. I think those guys do such an amazing job with the, the throwback helmet. So overall, I, I'll give it a solid grade as well. Um, let's hear from Yingling. 
uh, one of America's America's oldest brewery, uh, sixth generation of brewers. Uh, did you indulge in some yingling when you were up in Stillwater, Colby? Oh, uh, I did not get my hands on any yingling. We did have a babysitter, but the babysitter didn't get here in time for us to get to the game early and get out to the tailgate. Mm. So we got there right at kickoff. Um, and all these home games, no yingling for me at the home games, but all the road right. games, we will have yingling in the fridge. So we'll, well have a couple of road games coming up after Bedlam, and I'll be able to pour a few back. I'm sure you had some yesterday as you were sitting in what I assume is a nice, heated, dry house. Yes, I I'm actually holding a Yingling traditional lager right now as we're doing the podcast. Uh, it's their original amber beer. It's probably the one they're most known for. It's their traditional lager. Uh, it's probably the most popular one they have, but uh, it's born from a historic recipe that was resurrected in 1987, well before young Colby Powell entered the world, just a couple years after I did. So uh, be sure to check out the Yingling traditional lager. It's their bread and butter. It's very refreshing. It's fantastic. And let me take a sip right now. Yep, I give it uh, two thumbs up. So it's time for our Yingling Toast of the Week. And I, yes, you're Colby. I was in the warm confines. I was actually offered some tickets last minute for free. And I wanted to go. I didn't think the weather looked that bad at the time I was offered in the morning. Uh, my Sooner wife, I, I, I wanted to educate her on homecoming and how it really looks because they actually do it up in Stillwater and like down there in Norman. And she was like, man, I just I don't think I can do it in this weather. It's going to rain. It's going to be cold. And I'm like, all right, fine. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna drag you up there and make you sit in the rain. And, and as we watched, as it, and then right after we made that decision, Colby, it started freezing rain all day at our house in Edmond. And uh, as the way that first half played, I was like, man, I'm really glad I didn't go. And the second half, I was like, man, I wish we were there. So, so shout out to everyone that made the trip and braved those elements because it looked absolutely diabolical. So, who's your Yingling toast for? Yeah, it was pretty nasty. Uh, you know, it could very easily go to Ollie Gordon. But I'm not going to give it to Ollie Gordon because he's the superstar. He could get it every week. I'm going to give it to Leon Johnson, man. Guy comes up from, uh, I believe it was Division Three, Division Three, right, for Leon? Yep. Yeah, Division Three. George yeah, Fox Division University. Three. Division three, three transfer. Leon Johnson comes out last night. And, Carson, when I say that it was hard to catch a football last night, like what amazes me about these guys is – the ability to perform in conditions like that. It's like when I was at, at, at St. Andrews on Wednesday and it's 41 degrees and it's spitting sideways rain. And, and these girls I'm watching are just hitting 275 yard drives dead straight in, in four layers. I'm like, how does the performance not dip when the weather is like this? And for him to go out and like, that's his moment, right? You want to be a guy. Everybody else is hurt. You get a chance. You've got to be ready. All the work that goes in in the offseason and every single week. And all that work is being put in. I, I said the same thing about Rashad Owens a few weeks ago. You're putting in all that work, and you don't know if it's going to lead to the opportunity or not. And then when you get it, you absolutely explode for 5 and 149 in those conditions last night. Uh, no drops. Everything that was thrown his way, he grabbed. I was just – I was blown away by – the skill of Leon Johnson and just the ability of these guys to stay ready, get one opportunity. Everything kind of rides on that one opportunity and you go out and perform the way he did toast of the week, Leon Johnson, the third. That's a great one. Uh, you need guys to step up over a long course of the season, as I mentioned earlier, and especially when you're playing teams like Oklahoma in a rivalry game, uh, it really shows the depth of program. And that's why this OSU's program is, is one of the games that has under Mike Gundy is he he's great at building depth 
and getting guys ready. Uh, it's clear he knew he had to get him ready to play, and he and he was, and he he really took advantage of it. So it's credit to him and the coaching staff as well. Uh, obviously, Ollie can be doing keg stands right now. I, I, I tweeted that he's probably under the neon palms, under the throne that that Clint Shelf, Zach Robinson, Justin Blackman once once stood, once sat. You know the the throne where the man, the big man on campus sits. He, I know he's only nineteen, but hey, he can he can go in there and have a have a diet coke if he wants. But um, I loved Ollie's reaction when he scored that one where he was just kind of going going nuts, screaming because. This is something that really gets me going when I watch football. When I watch those Cincy dudes get in his face, Colby, they were doing dirty crap after every t- every tackle there in the first half. They were laying on him a little too long, shoving him, getting up. They were really drawing a line in the sand and challenging him in his manhood. And this is this is the one this is one of the things I love about college football. You can you can do that. You you can draw that line in the sand. And and I I love the look Ollie gave toward the end of the game when Elijah Collins trucked his dude on his way to the end zone. He was, he was jawing right back at those guys. And what did Ollie do when he had the fumble and those guys had seemingly thought they had the last laugh? He went to work and he laid the smack down. And I just loved his reaction when he went in the end zone and just went berserk. And he's like, all right, you're in my house. You're going to challenge my manhood. This is what's going to happen. 271, two touches. I love that. This That was pure alpha dog stuff from Ollie. But that's not what I just wanted to point that out. I'm a whole case of Yingling traditional lager to Casey Dunn. Not not microphone, but Casey Dunn is where this is going. How's my mic sound now, Colby? Uh, it sounds good now. It's uh, between your mic and my inability to get the videos on ESPN to stop playing. This is going to be a fun <laughs> listen. All right. Uh oh, I think my mic's cutting out again. No, no Yingling for the microphone. Up oh, there we go. Okay, I'm going with Casey Dunn because, again, I don't need to rehash how bad this offense was. We all know it. We all watched it. And I routinely would cite yards per play. And they're up to 43rd in the country at 5.9, which doesn't seem like great. But considering where they were, it's a giant jump. Because listen to this. Their last three games, Oklahoma State's averaging 7.5 yards per play. That would be their if they were to finish with that number, which obviously it's tough to do over such a short sample size. That would be higher than the Mason Rudolph offense in 2017, which I believe was their highest yards per play output. And they they averaged 8.5 yards per play against Cincinnati. And I understand Ollie Gordon's huge runs skew that a little, but that's part of the offense. That that is what this offense is. It's not James Washington over the top. It's not. Justin Blackman just being a physical freak and better than everyone you got on your team. That's the offense. And credit to Casey Dunn, four straight games now, scoring on their first possession. It's 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 Colby, it's become everything you and I have been asking for. So when we come on here and we we criticize and we we don't like what we see, it, it gets tiresome. And we're now seeing everything we've wanted to see and more. Now, would I like them to score 60? Sure. I mean, that's that's pie-in-the-sky stuff. But what I wanted to see was get the ball to Ollie, get the ball to Brennan Presley, be creative when doing so. And we're seeing that game in, game out, and the numbers are back to what Oklahoma State offense should be. And it's getting to the point, Colby, now, where I, I didn't even consider the thought of bringing Casey Dunn or Charlie Dickey back. And I don't. And those are conversations we'll have at the end of the year. But for right now, those two guys are doing their damn job at the highest level. 
They have gotten the most out of this team. And it's frankly, for me, Colby, it's a bigger turnaround than when we saw in 2021 after the Boise state game, when Jalen Warren exploded and they, they looked bad going into that game, but they had a Spencer Sanders. They had those guys on defense that were all seniors and played a ton of football. There were reasons to think they could turn this around. You and I were not the only people questioning if they were going to win another game. That was real. That's what it looked like. And it didn't look like they were going to have any options or any solutions. And so I think this might be Colby, the best coaching job of Mike Gundy's career. I would put this right up there with 2021. I thought he had a lot more help with Jim Knowles and that defense of his back then. I think it's right up there with 2009 when they lost Dez to those shenanigans, those, those criminals at the NCAA and they lost uh, Kendall Hunter that year. He didn't play. They're two all Americans didn't play that year. He still found a way to have a, a good football team. I think this might be Mike Gundy and Casey Dunn's uh, best performance as coaches. I really do. I, I'm, I'm blown away at the job they've done the last four weeks. Yeah, it really has been pretty impressive. And you've got to give a ton of credit to Casey Dunn because it's not just turn and hand it to Ollie, turn and hand it to Ollie, turn and hand it to Ollie. The timing of the calls, the timing of when he's running the play action with Josiah Johnson wide open out there for the first touchdown of the game. Like you mentioned, they've scored on their first drive four games in a row. That just gives you the ability to um, to play from in front and, and to use your entire system. You don't have to get predictable as an offense. They've been getting off to good starts and they've just continued to role and yeah he deserves a ton of credit because he got a ton of criticism when things were going bad and things were going really bad and the the criticism was valid and now the praise is valid and the timing of these calls has been great the the fact that he kind of knows okay first half these teams are really keying in on Ollie. Let's use that to our advantage. Maybe spread it around a little bit more. And then in the second half, as opponents get worn down and we're just getting stronger, then give it to Ollie and let him rush for more than 200 yards in the second half alone in consecutive weeks. It's been a great job by Casey Dunn. And like you said, this might be the best coaching job of Mike Gundy's career. I'm not willing to say that just yet. Check back with me in a week. No, I agree. It's... I'm not willing to go there yet, but again, where they were and where they are, it's it's pretty dang remarkable. And then the coaching staff deserves a ton of credit because, again, they didn't have a ton of proven guys to fall back on. They didn't. I mean, Alan Bowman hadn't played football in years, so uh, it's pretty remarkable. All right, Colby, you want to talk Bedlam? Let's talk Bedlam. I, I kind of leaned – I kind of hinted at this, that OU was vulnerable. We all know what happened against UCF, but I said – they don't really have the vaunted offensive line or running game that they used to have. And I think they ended up running for a lot of yards against Kansas, but a lot of that had to do with, they didn't let Dylan Gabriel throw the football. He had 11 passes going into their final drive of the game because he had a pick six. They didn't trust their quote unquote Heisman contending quarterback and OU's as vulnerable as they've ever been. I, I know last year, uh, losing record, they were vulnerable. It, it, they, they embarrassed OSU in the first half. OSU made the game interesting. But this is probably the most optimistic bedlam since 2021, and I think you'd have to go back to 2011 before that, maybe 2013 as well. Yeah, I think you could maybe say one of those years with Rudolph, you would have some optimism. Uh, But this year, and I haven't seen a line. I looked at just about five minutes ago for a line on this game, and I haven't seen one. I would imagine, again, you've got to factor in the name brand, getting bets on both sides. I would imagine OU is going to be probably somewhere in the neighborhood of a a three-and-a-half-point favorite would be my guess. But this is going to be a really close bedlam, and it could come down to to turnovers, timely penalties. I don't really know. This is going to be an excruciating three and a half hours, I think, for both fan bases. But 
I watched that game yesterday between Oklahoma and Kansas, and, and it wasn't totally fluky that Oklahoma lost that game. They they had the pick six. They had a couple of other turnovers. Kansas had their fair share of turnovers as well. This Oklahoma team, they run Dylan Gabriel a lot. I think the matchup against Cincinnati was kind of a good tune-up for Oklahoma. But I think the Cincinnati offense is a poor man's Oklahoma offense, maybe a destitute man's Oklahoma offense, because Emory Jones, he, he can throw the ball a little bit, but he's not – you know, he's not going to sling it all over the yard. You're not really worried about him throwing it 45 times and racking up 450 yards through the air and beating you that way. But they're going to run him a lot, right? Emory Jones, they want to run him a lot. Dylan Gabriel, they run him a lot. Cincinnati, last last night, what do they do? First time they get in the red zone, third down and goal. They run Emory Jones off left tackle. O- Oklahoma, inside the 10-yard line, I've watched them all year. They've got one play that they go to over and over and over again inside the 10-yard line, and it's just a Dylan Gabriel keeper. Jeff Lebby is totally unimaginative as a play caller. He just wants to run Dylan Gabriel a ton. Now, maybe they break out all the stops. Maybe we see all the crazy plays against Oklahoma State. That's normally what happens with OU. This game is crazy. This game will be crazy. The atmosphere is going to be unbelievable. The weather is going to be nice, but we're going to leave our little girl at home so that we can yell and scream. And if it goes our way, we can just experience that elation. And and if it doesn't go our way, we, we can just feel that pain. I mean, that that's part of a sports of being a sports fan, right? This Saturday, there is going to be so much happiness on one side and there's going to be so much pain on the other side. And that's what sports are all about. I, I can't wait. I am so, so, so fired up for this final, for the, the very near future, uh, the final edition of Bedlam. It's certainly more appetizing than we thought back in September. And I will say this, actually, Colby, the biggest criticism for Jeff Lebby, OU's offensive coordinator, is he gets too cute. He gets too tricky. He puts, you know, he puts two receivers in the backfield and runs them up the gut and they fumble. They ran the week before this wildcat with a running back who hadn't played all year who drops the snap. He's gotten way too cute. Now, if he trusts his quarterback and throws it deep, I think that's a bad matchup for Oklahoma State's secondary, as we've seen. And they're they're supposedly one of the better run defenses, but so was Cincinnati. And I think that's why this game for Ollie Gordon against Cincinnati having done what he had done the previous three weeks is so huge because a proven defensive line, knowing what you're going to do, and he pops off for 271. I think that bodes very well against Oklahoma because on paper going into this game, it was, well, OU stops the run and they're able to throw it deep pretty well. They lost their best deep threat. Andrew Anthony's out for the year. Uh, I think you could argue, now FanDuel has opened this at six and a half in favor of OU, which I think is crazy high in a rivalry game in Stillwater. When, frankly, Colby, on paper, OSU is the better team right now. I know this game has never been played on paper. Uh, It's certainly not when Mike Gundy's involved. And it's certainly not when OU's coming off a loss and people start to give Oklahoma State uh, a good chance to win the game. That's never boded well. OSU usually pops up and wins this game when you don't expect it. 2021 basically being an outlier there. But it's going to be epic. And I think Oklahoma State's the better team as it stands right now, which I I cannot believe I'm saying. Uh, I don't want to be a prisoner of the moment, but I've said this for weeks now. OU's got real problems. Their offensive coordinator looks a little in over his head. He had been at Ole Miss and UCF. Well, he's he's not at those places anymore. He's at Oklahoma, and he's he's having to learn on the job. It looks like, and their defense has been really good this year. They lost Danny Stutzman. 
they were looking around for him. He wasn't out there. And I know they're always going to have talent at linebacker, but he's the quarterback of their defense. OU is banged up going into this game, Colby. So you throw that on top of how both teams are playing currently, and I'm prepared to get hurt again. It, it's it's the most optimistic I've been. I didn't. I, what did I say after the the game last year, Colby? I said I will never, ever, 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 ever have optimism going into that game. As I sat in Norman, as they got blown off the field in the first half. But here I am again. I'm ready to get hurt again, and I'm optimistic again. Yeah, I told myself I would never pick Oklahoma State to win it again under Mike Gundy. I said that. I said I, I don't think I'm ever going to pick Oklahoma State to win it again. And I don't know who I'm picking to win this game this week. I, I just saw uh, on Twitter somebody sent out the Circa board, and Circa opened with Oklahoma as a four-point favorite, so a little closer probably That's to where better. I thought it would be. Uh, you've got to factor helmet logos and things like that in just a little bit. Oklahoma State with the home field advantage. Carson, I'm telling you, that is such a big, big deal. Oklahoma State has been so good in Stillwater. I, I really am going to have to deliberate internally this week. I, I mean, I'm probably going to lose sleep over it, laying in bed at night thinking, is is this the year that they can get it done? Or is, is some of this stupid Sooner Magic crap going to creep up again, which they, they call it Sooner Magic. All it really is is dumb luck that goes their way. And I, I don't know. This OU team could could be 8-0 coming in. They could just as easily be five and three on a three-game losing streak. They they eke te- past Texas on that last second drive. They eke past UCF um, in, in their next game after the bye week, and then they lose to Kansas yesterday. Also, were you watching the OU Kansas game live, Carson? I was. Okay, so when Neil scores the touchdown at the end of the game to put them up thirty-eight to thirty-three, I wanted to jump through my TV, grab him by the face mask, and tell him that he had just lost his team at the game. Oklahoma was letting him score, dive at the one-yard line, and kick the field goal with five seconds left. I couldn't believe he actually ran into the end zone. Uh, I thought that was just terrible coaching that they didn't tell them, okay, guys, he's going to let you score. Don't do it, or they get the ball back with a minute left. I know. It's just, God, the the wind was in their face. It's rainy. Do you trust your – your holder and your kicker, do you just score? I mean, I, I know they could have waited a little longer, obviously, but I, I'm with you. I, I understand that's the play, and if your kicker misses it, you miss it, I guess. But, but yes, that if, was a if, boneheaded decision. They should have been telling him to get down. Yeah, if it was going to be a 40 or 45-yarder, then you just try to get as many yards as possible. If you score, you score. But if they're going to let you score – then you can just run down to the one and dive at the one. And now you're kicking, what, uh, after two knees, you're kicking a 20-yard field goal from the center of the field. If you botch a 20-yard field goal, then you don't deserve to win that game. Um, yeah, Fair I couldn't enough. believe they did that. But that's that's a tough loss for Oklahoma. I'll, I'll say this. You're getting a team coming off a loss. What happens after losses, right? Guys learn lessons. They practice harder. Um, they're, they're, they're more disciplined. I promise Brent Venables all week is going to be teaching tackling and discipline. Don't make mistakes. None of these stupid penalties. I think they were going to go for it on the fourth and seven before they had to punt it away to Kansas when Jason Bean let them down the field on what ended up being the game-winning touchdown drive. They false start on the edge with a receiver. They had a couple of receivers false start last week. Oklahoma lost two fumbles in that game. Those are balls that in Bedlam historically have always landed right on the exact correct nose of the football and bounced to an Oklahoma Sooner. Some things went against Oklahoma yesterday in Lawrence that have historically gone their way. But I, I don't know, man. This is an Oklahoma State team that's rolling and an Oklahoma team that's reeling. This is a series that has been dominated by Oklahoma. I, I just I don't know where I'm going to come out on this thing at the end of the week. But I can't wait to do the preview pod. My mom was asking me yesterday when we left the stadium. She's like, are we doing the pod this week? And I'm like, oh, absolutely. Yeah. So um, oh, yeah. I'll let everybody guess who she's going to pick. Yeah. Um, but to your point, though, like 
Oklahoma struggled with SMU th- throughout that game into the fourth quarter. Struggled against Cincinnati, albeit it was on the road. Scored 10 points in the second half against Cincinnati. Scored 12 against Kansas in the second half. You would have thought the wake-up call would have came last week after almost losing to – really probably should have lost to UCF last week, Colby. So I, I don't know if I'm buying the the wake-up call narrative. I think Oklahoma is improved from last year, but I think we may have got a little out of our skis about how much they're improved. Their defense certainly has improved, but I don't know about that offense because, again, they only scored 12 points in the second half against Kansas, and Kansas' defense is not very good, and they were afraid to throw on them. So, I again, I – I like the way this game shapes up for Oklahoma State. I really do. Now, I've liked that a lot over the years, and the team that I expect to show up doesn't. And the, the game plans that I expect to show up do not, which we'll, we'll talk about more this week, Colby. But make no mistake, uh, one of Mike Gundy's finer coaching performances up to this point, it shapes up an all-of-a-sudden massive Bedlam game with Big 12 championship implications on the line. Did not expect to be saying that. Certainly did not expect for Oklahoma State to be in a tie for the Big 12 lead. So, it's all on the table, Colby. Uh, this podcast was very depressing in September. I, I didn't know how we were going to get through it, but as Mike Gundy usually does, just when you start counting out the wily dude from Midwest City who was rocking the, the hoodie tucked in, count him out carefully because just when you think his back is against the wall, he usually throws a few haymakers and all of a sudden puts himself in a position that he's used to, and that's contending for the Big 12. Yeah, you're right. I'm, I'm so fired up for Bedlam. Um, again, I don't know what's going to happen. I haven't decided on a prediction. I'll, I'll decide toward the end of the week, but I didn't think there was any scenario in which I would ever pick Oklahoma State to win this game, and now it's it's a coin flip, and I'm just going to have to sleep on it throughout the week and figure it out. Carson, I want to ask, did you happen to watch game one of the World Series? I watched the ending. I saw the two-run homer from Seeger, and I saw the walk-off live. So I did I did catch it at the perfect time. That is some elite playoff baseball. World Series, Corey Seeger, that ball, I don't know if it's landed yet. And then Adelise Garcia is just unbelievable. I know they lost game two, but pretty great sports weekend for me staying up. Uh, my body was still on Scotland time, so it felt like it was the middle of the night. I was so tired. That game goes to extra innings. Um, I was about to fall asleep in the eighth and ninth innings, and then when Seager hit that home run, I got that boost of adrenaline, and then I was just wired, and then I couldn't go to sleep after the game. Um, yeah, and then the late night in Stillwater last night. My sleep is, is so screwed up from this last week, but it's all due to, to great sports reasons, which I'm here for. Seager played for the Oklahoma City Dodgers back in 2015. I remembered that uh, that name, so there's a little lo- local tie there. Uh, he was with the Dodgers uh, farm organization back then, and yeah, I, I thought my TV was showing like, you know, highlights from the Astros series, all these walk-off homer, all these home, home runs in big spots. They, they've uh, they've had some clutch hits. But um, I saw Arizona struck back. But th- how about this stat, Colby? If there were any Arizona fans that actually existed, they might be one of the most tortured franchises in, in all of pro sports because they've played four road games in World Series history in their franchise history, three of which they've given up two run homers in the bottom of the ninth <laughs> to lose. Woof. <laughs> Yikes. Three out of four ever. Now, if you ever go to Phoenix, most people aren't from there and they're not locals. So they don't have the fan base quite like Texas Rangers do, but uh, it, it should be a fun series. Yeah, it absolutely should. Uh, Do we miss anything, Carson? Are you, are you good? Are we ready to go into our week and stew on what we're going to uh, pick for this Bedlam game? Yeah, I'm uh, I've got some takes in, in the oven. They're, they're baking right now. And uh, I may have tipped my hand a little bit, but, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. OSU is a better football team. Uh, 
if they lose this game, it's on the coaching staff and it's on the players, obviously. But I just want to, for the 15th straight year, I'm going to say this. I just want OSU to play to win. That's all I want. If you lose by 30 and you're giving the ball to Ollie and, and getting Brennan Presley in motion, I won't care. It's the, it's the coming out flat with your tail tucked that I will not accept. I can handle losing this game. I've lost more lost way more in my lifetime than one. That's fine. I'm used to it. Even if it's the last one, I won't care. As long as you try to win the game, you play to win the game and OSU is the better team Colby. I love it. I love everything you're saying. Uh, everybody join us later in the week. Carson's dad, my mom, our picks for the final bedlam. Oklahoma state is rolling as always. Thanks everyone for listening. Go folks.